just responds to a, a beat. And 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 when you're pastor, you can meddle because that's that's what we do. But uh, music is very spiritual. I, something popped up on on Facebook, and it was one of the last concerts of the Jackson Five. It's in the '90s, I believe. And man, they turned the lights on. I only watched about three minutes of it, and this is how far I got. Lights came on. They rise out of the floor. They look like astronauts. They take it off, and it's the Jackson 5, and they hit that note. And I'll be honest, my flesh felt some of the same emotions that I felt in this service. Because music is spiritual. But when you turn your praises to the one that matters... It takes it beyond the physical and it takes it beyond the emotional and your soul connects with him. And that's what's happened in this place and I'm so thankful. Hallelujah. You can be seated for just a moment. Sister Brooklyn, where are you at? Come on up here. Last Sunday, it was incredible. We got to baptize, actually, Brother Justin Lowe, our youth pastor, baptized Brooklyn Clozart in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. But we're, we, hallelujah, we celebrate these moments. I believe that it can happen today as well. As a pastor, we preach to the whole gamut of congregants. Sometimes we preach to the brokenhearted. Sometimes we preach to the sinner. Sometimes we preach to the one who is needing to grow stronger. But today, if you'll let me, I want to preach to the church. Not just a Wednesday night message. It's a Sunday message. Preach to the church. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, although I'm only going to pull from the last phrase of that verse for the moment. But Jesus, in one of his final discourses to man, he says, Behold, or lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Somebody told me that's why they don't ever fly in a plane, because the Bible says, Lo, I'm with you always. I don't think that's exactly what that means, but Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That is a powerful statement, a phenomenal statement. It's a statement that I want to hold on to. I want Jesus with me until the day I take my final breath or the day he takes me home. What a promise. Lo, I'm with thee. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We're going to come back and visit that portion of Scripture but this is a true story. Some things are sound true and you find out later they're not. And, but I've always come to the conclusion that truth is stranger than fiction. And if you live long enough, you'll see some pretty crazy things. His name is Larry, Larry Walters. He led a fairly boring life. He was a truck driver in Southern California. 
just going through life until one day, July the 2nd, 1982, on that day, Larry turned himself into a living legend. See, Larry had always wanted to fly. He had even joined the Air Force hoping that he would have the opportunity to, fly, uh, uh, to pilot one of our America's fighter planes, but his poor eyesight caused him to not be able to step into the cockpit of a fighter jet. After his discharge, he would say, I would sit in my backyard and look at the contrails of jets as they flew by, and he desperately wanted to fly. He said it was torture to think about other people having the ability to fly. And so it was that one day Larry could stand it no longer and while sitting in his backyard in a Sears and Roebuck lawn chair, he decided to do something about it. He went down to the local Army and Navy surplus store and he bought 45 weather balloons, four foot in diameter. He went, filled those 45 weather balloons up with helium, attached those 45 weather balloons to that exact same lawn chair that he was sitting in, and he, and he, he titled it Inspiration One. He had a plan. Now, in the, uh, just to be completely transparent, there was some liquid courage involved. He'd had a couple. You can go read the news story and it'll tell you what kind he had. But we're not going to endorse that today. But He thought long and hard about what he wanted to do and he had a plan. He filled up some jugs with water, I believe, and used them as ballasts. He made sure he had a rope that connected him to that lawn chair. And he had a pellet gun. So that when he wanted to come down, he could one by one pop a balloon that would slowly lower him down to earth. He packed some sandwiches. He did. He packed some more drinks. You can guess what kind. And his pellet gun. And he said, I'm going to have my friends, when I get in there, I'm going to have them cut the anchor rope that connects me to earth, and I will float lazily above my, my backyard about 30 feet or so, and just hang out for a couple hours, enjoying the flight. Unfortunately, Larry was a good truck driver, a horrible physicist. Because things didn't go according to plan when those 45 four-foot diameter balloons, each filled with 33 cubic feet of helium, and when his friends cut the rope, he did not rise to 30 feet. He did not rise 100 feet. He did not rise 1,000 feet. No, they estimate he topped out like being shot out of a cannon to six. 1,500 feet above the earth tied to a lawn chair. No, let me, let me read my, I'm sorry, I read that completely wrong. He got to 16,000 feet.
gun, but at 16,000 feet, he's a little scared to start popping balloons. He had bought himself a parachute, but he had never used it, and so he didn't want to try it for the first time then. It's cold at 16,000 feet, and he was miserable. He ate his sandwiches. That's what it says. He drank all his drinks, and for 14 hours, he contemplated his options. The wind is different at 16,000 feet than it is here. He no longer could see his house. In fact, the wind pushed him into the approach corridor of LAX airport. And there is not one bit of evangelistically speaking in this sermon and in this story, but can you imagine the air traffic controller when a Delta pilot and a TWA pilot said, uh, we just passed a dude in a lawn chair on our approach. Finally, Larry got up enough nerve to pop a few balloons but in the process, he dropped his pellet gun. But enough balloons were popped for him to begin to descend. And as he descended, his risers and, and, and ropes got caught onto a telephone and power line in a Long Beach neighborhood. <laughs> That ain't even cool. I'm in my sermon. I'm in my story. Tim, you're fired. I don't know what you did, but you just scared me to death. I promise I'm going somewhere spiritual. I promise it's not just a good story. That's the Lord telling me to hurry up and get spiritual. He's hanging there with those balloons caught on the telephone and power line. And he finally was able to climb down and was promptly arrested by the Los Angeles Police Department. And as they led him away in handcuffs, a reporter who had been following the story for the last 14 hours yelled out to him, Larry, why'd you do it? And Larry's response, that is forever recorded in infamy. He replied, well, a man just can't sit around all day and do nothing. If you'll let me, I want to preach to you. I just can't sit around. I've got to do something. First Kings, no, Second Kings, Second Kings chapter uh, 6 begins to tell the story, and it is a, a story that from a kid I remember and, and, and know uh, what it's like. And, and I, I've, You know how you get, get things ingrained in your childhood memory you never forget? I remember Brother Roger Creel. He, Brother Harpo, you know the Creels. They all, y'all quizzed against probably some of their quiz teams. But Brother Roger Creel taught the youth class 
when I was a young person, when I would go and visit Momo and Pawpaw in De Quincey, Louisiana, Brother Roger Crew would talk, and I remember him teaching on this uh, portion of Scripture, and it's forever ingrained in my mind. And, and that is that the Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, came and put his whole army around and besieged the, the, the city of Samaria. And I preached a little bit about this last Wednesday. We've been doing this, sto- this study on the spirit of Babylon. And we took you all the way. My wife, I'm here in, 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 in front of God and everybody. To my wife I, and, and Sister Megan Bazelli, they're out preaching. I am so sorry for going as long as I did when y'all were desperately downstairs corralling all the children. I did apologize many times in the sermon. But I had to cover all the 430 years all the way from King Saul to the end of the Old Testament. And this was a portion of that. The siege of Samaria had gone. It, a famine came up. I mean, nobody could go in the city. Nobody could go out of the city. You couldn't get your convoys of food. You couldn't go out of the city to work your fields. And pretty soon the storehouses went out. And it was said that, that a donkey's head, and I don't know if any of you have ever eaten a donkey's head. I've eaten pig, uh, pig head and pig brains. And if donkey head is anything like pig brains, I don't ever want to eat it again. But it said that a donkey head sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money, just in case you're wondering. That's not what it normally should sell for. But it was so valuable, they would eat a donkey's head. It got so bad that just a little bit of dug dung, you could buy some of that for five shekels if you were really hungry. It got so bad that the understanding is they began to eat their children because of the starvation. And in this walks Elisha. And Elisha hears the voice of God and he tells the king and he tells the people, he says, hold tight because this time tomorrow, this time tomorrow, flour will be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel. Basically, somehow God's going to open it up and we're going to have so much food that food prices are going to drop. Now, there was a man, uh, he, he was a captain. The Bible says, this is, this is the first part of 2 Kings chapter 7. There was a man, he was a captain. The Bible says the king leaned upon him. It was a, he was pretty high up and he was in charge of the gate. And so that captain heard Elisha say, tomorrow this is going to happen. And that man looks at Elisha and he says, listen, if the windows of heaven opened up, there is no way this is ever going to happen. And Elisha retorts back and says, oh, it's going to happen. You're going to see it happen, but you won't eat one bit of it. And so the page flips verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 7. Now there were four men who were lepers that were sitting at the entrance of the gate. I don't know if they were in the gate or out of the gate. I don't know what part they were at, but they were at the gate. They were lepers. They were shunned of society. They didn't have much going on for them. If everybody else is starving, I can assure you the lepers were really starving. And one of them, and this is where Brother Roger Creel began to teach and lay it out, and it's never left my mind all these years. He says, can you imagine one of them nudging the other one saying, I am starving, I'm going to die. And they said, you know what, if we stay right here where we've always been, we are guaranteed to die. But if we get up and go walk to the enemy's camp, now what's the worst thing they could do? Kill us? 
tough. We're already dead. But maybe we'll find some food somewhere. And so those four lepers, probably missing body parts, and, and, and in their sickness and in their disease, they get up and, and again, Brother Creel fleshes it out as a master storyteller. They're leaning on each other. They're walking on each other. It's, uh, are walking, you know, holding on to each other. And they're going to the enemy's camp. And Brother Creel told me, he said, and, and he, was, he was teaching, he said, I imagine that God turned to Gabriel and he said, Gabriel, where's those big amplifiers we have? Where's that sound system we've been saving for just this moment? And they got the sound system of heaven all ready to go in the amplifiers and those four decrepit uh, uh, lepers as they walk and they staggered somewhere in God's ability. He turns a heavenly microphone down to the feet of shuffling lepers and it no longer sounds as it booms through the heavens as, as lepers, but it sounds like a raging army. In so much that when those lepers stagger into Ben-Hadad's camp, the Ben-Hadad's camp and all of his Syrian army have run for their life because they heard the sound of a bigger army marching. They left everything. They didn't bring anything. They ran for their life, the, the Syrian army did. And so when those four starving, bedraggled lepers walk into camp, there's food still on the campfire, and there's apple pies still baking, and, and, and there, there's biscuits and gravy over here, and the smell of bacon is going on, and there's riches and everything. They are stuffing themselves full of food, and they stop, and they say, you know what? If we leave this for ourselves, we, we, we're fed today, but we're gonna, they're going to kill us tomorrow. We better go back and tell the rest of them, and so they take the march back. They knocked on the gate, and that gatekeeper opens up. Who goes there? Ah, it's just us four lepers. Can you tell the king? We've been to the enemy's camp, and he's already ran. He's already left. There's, there's food everywhere. Everything you could desire is right there. Would you tell the king? That gatekeeper goes to the king and he says, this is all a, a trick. You know, the, 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 the Syrian army has sent these guys back and we're going to get out there in all of our excitement and they're going to just slaughter us. But the king says, well, why don't we send a few horsemen? And so the horsemen take off. It's the remaining horses. I'm, I'm pretty sure there wasn't many horses left in that kingdom at that point. They'd been eaten. But a couple horsemen go out and they find exactly what the, the lepers had said and they come back and they tell the king and it starts to go through the city. There's food, everything we want. And the Bible records that the rush of people rushing out of the city to the enemy's camp was so much that it, they ran over, they trampled that, that gatekeeper who, who didn't believe and he died. But it all starts with four lepers at an entrance of a siege city. Hopeless, starving, that say a question. Why do we just keep sitting here? We're not going to do anything if we sit here. 
And if we get out and do something, we might fail, but guess what? I'll fail just as hard sitting as trying. And so why don't we just do something and maybe something good will come out of it? Can I help you today that that gatekeeper was wasting his time just sitting at a gate trying to figure out if something was going to fall in his lap when there were four lepers that says, I just can't sit around. I could take you to Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9 in the story of the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes up those three disciples to him and the heavens open up and Elisha and Moses appear alongside of Jesus and there's this incredibly spiritual moment. And maybe Peter doesn't know how to respond. I I get that. Sometimes we say dumb things when we don't know what to say. We just kind of say whatever comes to our mind. And and Peter goes, I'll build three tabernacles right here, and we'll stay right here on this mountain, this spiritual moment. The Lord says, that's not what I called you for. Because I'm not just talking to people who aren't doing anything. I'm talking to people who love the church, who love the moment, who love the worship, who love the spiritual side. And sometimes if we're not careful, all we want to do is just be in the altar. We want to be in the spiritual presence of God. But I hear the Lord saying, you can't just sit around. I love what's happening today in this service. I'm so thankful for the presence of God that has poured through this place. But there is far more to your life than sitting on this pew. There is far more to your life than clapping your hands when you feel like it. There's even far more than you just lifting up worship and giving him adoration and praise. God has called you for such a time as this. You can't just sit around. I could take you to the book of Acts chapter 1. Where those disciples along with another group and, 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 and maybe at least 120, maybe more, we don't know. But they sit there, they're following Jesus, they're hungrily eating up every word that Jesus says. And then all of a sudden Jesus starts getting taller. And they realize he's no longer touching earth. I, I've, I've often wondered, see, I, I grew up when, when every church it seemed had a passion play. We don't do a lot of plays like that. We need to. Brother Dugas' church, they rigged up a pulley. And Jesus would get to a place and the pulley was attached to Jesus. And the music would sound and Jesus would rise so majestically and so slowly until he got up to the top. They did it at New Life, Brother Bachelor's Church, when we used to attend a long, long time ago. And he'd get up there and a curtain would drop. And poor Jesus had to hang in the rafters for an hour till everybody left. Seriously. I wonder if it was that majestic, that slow rise. Or if it was faster. I don't know. But I just know he left. And angels are there. And what do the angels say? Why stand ye here gazing? Why are you just soaking it all in? Maybe they were standing there because they literally have no idea what to do. Master just left. Savior just left. Messiah just left. I don't know what to do. Uh, Or maybe they were like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Their mouths hang open and wrapped in awe and attention. Until the angels give them the next part. Don't stand here gazing. Go. 
Go to Jerusalem. Pray. Wait for the promise of the Father. He's been telling you for three and a half years. He's been preparing you. You didn't know it, but he was preparing you for this moment. Go. See, I feel today, and I, I love the worship, and I love the, 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 the moves of God. I'm thankful for every person that's been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost this year, those salvific moments, and I'm thankful for this church. I, I brag about this congregation every chance I get. I love the presence of God. I love the fact that we don't waste one service. We don't waste one Sunday school class. We don't waste one connection time. I love that. But this is not the church. This is the building. This is, if you would ask Brother Shock, he would say, this is the barn. And if you spend all your time in the barn, what are you going to put in the barn? Because the, the crops are in the field. Jesus didn't say, I got... I don't have enough workers in the barn. Jesus didn't say, man, if I could just get another worker to come into the barn. Jesus didn't say, if I could get another person to come into the barn. No, Jesus said, the laborers are few. I've got fields of harvest, and it's not fields in Africa and Europe. It's fields right here in our backyard. He says, the fields are white with harvest. Send me a laborer. Send me someone in the field. And so... I bring us back to Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That is an absolutely phenomenal, amazing statement. But you have to realize you cannot take one place of the Bible and just start there. Everything's connected. And I invite you to look back a few verses, look back a few sentences, and if you want him to be with you always, what is proceeding? Here's what it says, Matthew 28, 19. I know you know it. You know your Bible, and I'm thankful for that. Let me back up. Let's just start at 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Some doubted. And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the earth. If I could help you out as you go, as you are going, make disciples and baptize them in the name and teach them to observe. And if you will go, I will be with you. I cannot add to the Bible. I cannot take, it, take away from the Bible. But if the Bible says thou shalt not lie, there is a, a, a flip side of that is thou shalt tell the truth. Right? So sometimes you can know what the Bible is saying even if it says it differently. Thou shalt not lie. Yes. But it also means thou shalt tell the truth. Can I help you out? If you don't go, he may not be with you. The prayer is not, Lord, be with me to the end of the earth. The Lord is, help me go. Go, make disciples. 
let me, let me help you out. Y- y- y'all haven't quite reached where I want you to reach. Mark chapter 16 records just another look, another glimpse of what we would call the Great Commission. The Great Commission, according to Mark. Mark records it a, a, a little bit longer, if you will. Go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. In my name they'll speak with new tongues. If they pick up serpents with their hands, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on their sick and they shall recover. All of that, I want it. Brother Lee, you said it in the beginning of this service. I want that. I heard it prayed in the prayer room before service. We want signs and wonders and miracles to happen, but those signs, wonders, and miracles are only contingent if we go. Could it be that the signs and wonders and miracles are not supposed to be limited to an altar and a place inside a physical building? But could it be that those signs and wonders and miracles may need to start happening at your work, may need to start happening in your backyard, may need to start happening in a Bible study around your table? I'm telling you, I cannot just sit around. There is a call to go. Paul Connor pastors an incredible church in Tucson, Arizona. My wife and I are going to preach for him here in about a month or so. I can't wait. It's the, it's the coolest church you'll ever go to. It's also the worst church if you have ADD. Because it's in the middle of Tucson mountains. It's gorgeous. I don't know why the desert's so beautiful, but it is. And, and the whole back of the church, I painted this wall black just for me. Because I need no more distractions. Every once in a while, I tell the, 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 the staff, y'all got to tone down whatever video's playing back there because it's, my, my brain's hit on it. But, but in Tucson, all of the back is nothing but solid windows. And so you're watching Brother Paul Connor preach. Now, it's grown up a little bit, but when they first built, deer would walk behind it. If, it, it, if I was in that place and a deer walked behind it, I'm done lost. I'm gone. Havelina, those little desert pigs would march by. It's it's a crazy, it's a beautiful place. But brother, brother, uh, uh, I, I got off track. Brother Paul Connor, he was preaching at the North Dakota camp meeting when my wife and I were there, and he said it like this: God is with those that do the Great Commission. He said, "If you want to cast out demons." then go. If you want to speak in new tongues, you've got to go. If you want to pick up a snake like Paul, or or if you accidentally pick up a snake like Paul did in the last chapter of Acts and it didn't hurt him, if you drink a deadly thing by accident and it doesn't hurt you, if you want to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, it starts with I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go to my family and tell them everything I can in the love of Jesus about the salvation God has. I'm willing to tell my neighbor there's something for you I'm willing to pray for the stranger in Walmart when they say man would you pray you got to go just about every Friday, there's a group of us that meet at the Wentzville Family Diner, some men. It started as a Bible study, and it's grown to more than a Bible study. It's just a time of fellowship, and we were there. And I don't know which one of you guys that were there uh, initiated it, but as I left, because I was just a hair late, as I left, 
one of you, it may have been Brother Mike, I don't remember, said, hey, and introduced the waitress's name and said, we need to pray for her. Her daughter, her, her son has RSV and is not doing really good. And, and so right then we just told her and we got her name. We said, we're going to pray with you. That's what it means. If you want to see the sick recover, you got to be willing to go. Again, it would be very easy. They just came out of Global Connections. It's an amazing thing, kind of a, a, of a place where people get together and they talk about, you know, maybe you're thinking about missions. Maybe you're thinking about an AIM trip. Maybe you're thinking about associates and missions. And this sermon would preach real good to that group of people. But that's not what this is necessarily about. In fact, I would go so far as to say this as I'm maturing in my walk with God. I don't want you to go to a foreign country and try to preach the gospel there if you've never tried to preach and teach and move here. If you've never taught a Bible study here, don't assume you'll get to Africa and teach a Bible study. If you've never shared the gospel to your neighbor, don't assume you can go to some far off place and suddenly things will change. The Great Commission, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. You've got to go. These things happen to people who take God with them outside the building. When you take God outside the building, something begins to happen. I, I step in the back of the church and watch y'all and, 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 and it gets a little loud in a lighthouse service. I get that. It's pretty cool to worship with a whole lot of other people that are worshiping kind of the same way I'm worshiping. There's something easy about walking into a service and You've already got people in the prayer room praying and you slip in there and man, it just you're instantly transported into the spirit of God. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And then pastor preaches messages like this and says, now you by your little old self, go talk to your neighbor. I get it. You go and you talk to your neighbor and you talk about everything under the sun because you're just trying to get up the courage to talk about Jesus. 30 minutes later, he has to leave and you miss the opportunity. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. But can I remind you of a heavenly sound system? That when those four lepers, bedraggled lepers that couldn't hold their own in any battle known to man started leaving where they were, started leaving their comfort zone, there was a Lord that began to hold down a microphone near their feet. And when they thought it was just four of them going, they went in the power of the host of heaven's army. When you get that courage to say, I can't just sit around any longer. I got to start a connect group. I want to start a Bible study in my home. I want, to, I want to just get with my neighbors and begin to connect. You're not going by yourself. I know you don't get to take all of us with you, but when you go, I hear a sound of heaven's armies. 
And what you don't realize is though you haven't started that conversation yet, there's something that's beginning to move on them because God is going before you. And when you get there, they're already ready to receive what you are about to say. How many times have you ever gone in the, in the impetus of the Great Commission and they say, man, you'll never know. Today I woke up and I prayed. And this is just an example. They'll say, I woke up today and said, God, if you're really real, would you send somebody to come and talk to me? What is that? It's God magnifying the steps of one who says I'm willing to go. And so it is as you stand today. I, I remember Matthew 25, and I'm not going to re-preach it or preach it again, but Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. One of the takeaways, there's a lot of takeaways you need to take away out of that parable. Number one is, is the fact that, that God is not interested in quantity. He's interested in quality. Because the Lord has the exact same blessing and reward for the one who doubled to ten and the one who doubled to four, whatever it was. Six, I don't remember. So God doesn't care about how many. He just cares if you go. But here's what I do know. God has zero tolerance for people that just sit. Because the one who had one talent, God, uh, it basically given him a sum of money, and it wasn't a great sum, a sum of money, and, and he was scared, and he went and just buried it. And so when the master came back, he gave him back the exact same amount of money. Nothing was stolen. And the master of the house said, you should at least put it in the bank. Maybe it would have gotten me some sort of interest. I want some increase of the kingdom. But you sat on it. And you did nothing. The Lord did not save you and I to just sit and do nothing. That great commission is not for just Peter, Paul, and James, and John. That great commission is for Brandon Buford. That great commission is for every young person in this building. That great commission is for every man, every lady. That great commission is even for our children. Go, teach, Preach, make disciples, teach a Bible study, help them to observe what thus saith the Lord. Go, and if you go, I begin to hear the sound of a congregation mobilized. They're getting up, getting ready for a great commission, and I hear the Lord amplifying everything you're doing. I hear the Lord amplifying every time you get up and go. And can I tell you, just as the Syrian army began to tremble, hell begins to tremble when the church of God says, I'm not going to sit around any longer. I'm ready to go. So my question to you is, what are you taking out of it? I Again, I'm not preaching to some, well, I am, because if this is where God's leading you, I want you to do it. One of our core values is an equipping church, and this last core value is we're a sending church. 
There's preachers that are sent out of this building. There's missionaries that will be sent out of this building. There are music directors that will be sent out of this building. There are Sunday school teachers that will be sent out of this building. That's what the church of God is called to be. And if God is calling you to commission your life and to consecrate your life, then I want you to do so. But it needs to start here. And I know because I just know how God works that God's already told you where to go. Not a place. That's not what I'm talking about. But he's already said, you know, if you'll just get up and go make a move to your neighbor, I'll go with you. If you'll just get up and make a move to some of your family, I'll go with you. If you'll get up and make a move in your school, in your neighborhood. Nolan, I know you got other connections to these guys, but one of the connections that Nolan, reason Nolan's here at church, that sounds so weird. Between Zane and Grant and whoever else was involved, they decided to go while they sat in their gamer chairs with headphones on and inviting Nolan to church while they played Call of Duty or whatever game y'all played. Because sometimes that's what it means to go. Would you lift your hands? I feel his presence in this place, Heavenly Father. Lord, now your word, I I preached your word, and and now it's, I can't take it any further. It's where you are, Lord. And you take the preached word to a corporate body and now you begin to center that word. You propel that word into the hearts of men and women in this building and you begin to speak to them as only you can. So Lord, right now I open the altars and I I put the mic down and I'm done with what I can do. And I ask, Lord, that for the remainder of however long someone wants to stay in your presence, that you would speak to them and help them and let them have that desire. God, I don't want to just sit. I want to go. I don't want to sit here and just just partake. I want to give back. Lord, would you open the eyes? Would you open the hearts? Would you open the burdens of this incredible congregation? And we give you glory in Jesus' name. I open altars. I hallow the ground where you're standing right now. And let that be a place, an altar, where you and the Lord have a conversation.